0: This is Base Layer brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer with Jojun from DYDX. This is an amazing, amazing company that has gotten a lot of attention because it is called a DEX. What is a DEX? a decentralized exchange. This is something that for people in traditional finance might find a little interesting and funny, if you will. Basically, it is an exchange where you can trade and move assets, but there is nobody there. It's basically all run via smart contracts. And so we talked about DYDX and why a lot of people, and they have an amazing investor base, by the way, And so we talked about how people can trade, there's leverage, there's margin, there's borrowing, there's lending, there's so many different things that they are doing. And it's all based off of running off of smart contracts. So one of the things that we talked about, and this is all on Ethereum, obviously, one of the things that we talked about was the Oracle problem that we've been talking a little bit on the show, uh, thanks to the folks at Chainlink. And so we talked about the Oracle problem. And we talked about the Oracles that are feeding data in there. And they are incredibly important when it comes to the performance of DYDX. And we talked about the state of the state of DEXs and so this has been something that has been around for about two years and has slowly started to gain a little bit more traction. Uh, there's been some commentary that it is hard to use that the UI and UX is not the easiest thing in the world and so we talked about that and we talked about the evolutions and it's funny I think that you know for people that might be familiar with the days of TCP IP you know getting a floppy disk going to the you know the stored by a modem and then calling it ISP in the early 90s and praying to god that you didn't blow up your computer it's kind of similar it was back then in 2017 and 18 you know, we've started to see this evolution of DEXs and these instruments of capital markets that are evolving and being much easier to use. And this is really important. This is a piece of capital market infrastructure that is making things more efficient. And so you can express things in derivatives, you can express a short interest, you can express all of these different things that a few years ago, you weren't able to do. And so I definitely, you know, this is a great show, definitely spend some time taking a look at their website, there's a lot of great information remember nothing on base layer is investment advice so please do your own research and on the flip side you're going to hear a great conversation with jojun from dydx enjoy This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. Really excited about this one, guys. We have DYDX with me today, and Jojoon, who heads up strategy there. And uh, this has been a project in a company that I've been having my eyes on for quite some time, and I know many people in crypto have been doing that as well, too. So we're going to be talking about all sorts of things like DEXs and lots of different things there. So if you could, um, what we'd like to do with the guests is before we get too into the weeds on the specifics of the company and what you guys are working on, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself uh, prior to DYDX? And i like to hone in on the kind of, not necessarily the when Bitcoin moment but what really drew you in um specifically about decentralized and distributed systems about blockchains about digital assets what really brought you into this world uh that inspired you to join the company
1: yeah hey david first of all thanks for having us i really excited to to chat about all things uh dydx and and dexes and things in the next uh, hour hour so um yeah so a bit about myself um so I, I, I joined DYDX in the beginning of 2018. Um, to answer your question on what got me excited and compelled to join a company like that, um, it was actually around probably... So Ethereum had been around for a couple of years, two to three years by then. Um, but what was really exciting at that point, uh, around the middle of 2017, was like a bunch of open financial protocols were starting to get uh, at least talked about uh, written about, you know, starting to be built, um, and that particular vertical made a lot of sense to me. Uh, my background is in finance and economics, um, so I worked uh, in, a, in a previous life um, in banking, in management consulting. Um, so that whole vertical made a lot of sense. And when kind of I learned about what those possibilities could be on a platform like Ethereum, uh, it sort of clicked. Um, and at that stage, there were a couple of interesting open finance protocols that were getting funded. Um, uh, if you remember back in the time, it was maybe 0x. Uh, I think Dharma might have raised a seed. Uh, DYDX raised a seed. Um, and that uh, was enough for me to think there's something here. Um, and um, Yeah, it's been a really exciting couple of years since then. So uh, that's how I got started. Before the YDX, uh, I I ran strategy operations at a a different startup uh, here in the Bay Area. Uh, And before that, I was uh, working in strategy consulting uh, at Bain & Company.
0: Awesome. Uh, we always love having people that made that crossover from traditional finance to digital assets. It's a interesting narrative and I think one that's been talked about a lot, but I still think that people need to hear it, especially from the family office and, and institutional investor perspective, that it's not all digital crypto natives, that people actually came from traditional worlds of finance and banking and they saw the opportunity set and so really love that. So I want to get into DYDX. Our mission is to create a more open, transparent, and secure financial system where everybody has access to high-quality financial tools. So if you were talking to someone who might not necessarily be within the kind of technocrat, crypto-native sandbox, how would you describe what DYDX is quickly?
1: Yeah, so I would say DYDX is an exchange that offers spot trading, margin trading, uh, eventually derivatives trading, but not today. Uh, And it's different today in the sense that it is what's called a decentralized exchange. And that's important as it's distinct from what we know today as centralized exchanges, which dominate the crypto landscape, uh, things like Coinbase, Binance, etc. Decentralized exchanges allow you to custody your own funds um, and... Uh, where all the transactions happen uh, using smart contracts uh, on DYDX itself. So it is, in our opinion, uh, a much more open and transparent and ultimately, we believe, safer way to conduct these transactions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's kind of uh, a level of, uh, an unprecedented level of transparency that we have not seen before in uh, traditional financial markets. So... um, that's how I would pause there as a, you know, very introductory in a nutshell.
0: Sure. And so not to deviate too much, but I think this is an interesting question. So you came from traditional finance and you obviously, I'm sure you still know people within traditional finance. And so did I, I came from that world. And, I understand the notion of not your keys not your crypto and obviously dexes have the potentiality to really service that because once you go to a centralized exchange whether it's one of the ones you named one of the drawbacks is effectively you know that they will have some blend of hot and cold storage and you will voluntarily you know give up your keys in a sense and so when we've seen hacks uh it has not been specific to the actual chain not to bitcoin or to ethereum per se but it's been to the exchanges and so i'm curious from your perspective and what you hear from clients from the institutional side if there are if you are seeing institutional demand for that are they? Is it an adoption curve? Are they? Do they have to get their mind around it? Is it something that is so mind blowing to them that they would not have a qualified custodian, but they would actually have something that is completely decentralized? Do you think that there's? It's going to be a learning curve for quote unquote institutional uh, investors to kind of start adopting DEXs?
1: Yeah, I mean, like like most technologies, I think it'll take some time and some getting used to. Um, the, model, the kind of mental model uh, for what they're used to today is obviously a you know you want a, you want a qualified custodian you know the traditional financial system is like you you put your money with a bank or something like that mm-hmm. um, so this is obviously very very different um, but uh, if you look at what you know compared today to, to two years ago when all this got started um, every day that this stuff is working is it's continuing to battle test the systems and continuing to uh, give more and more people, including uh, institutional um, uh, players, uh, more confidence that uh, this is actually something that works. And, you know, obviously in the early days, most of our users were uh, straight up, you know, uh, Ethereum enthusiasts, um, you know, open finance enthusiasts. Um, but as time has gone on, at least you know, I can speak for DYDX. We regularly have conversations with uh, with folks at the fund level um, who are looking to whether that's you know deploy capital and earn interest or um, use DYDX to to borrow some funds. So DYDX smart contracts effectively act as kind of like a counterparty. Um, so we're getting there, and it's going to take more and more and more time. But what we're seeing over this period, and I'm getting increasingly confident. into the future that the the more and more days and uh and transactions that go through a platform like dydx um the more and more battle tested and trustworthy uh it becomes and the cool thing is i mean from the get-go you're not trusting any random individual or set of individuals um all the code that powers dydx and powers these transactions is completely transparent and open uh, to anyone who's using it so um that's kind of the i think the fundamental difference from as a baseline using a something like dydx versus uh uh you know custodial platform like
0: mm-hmm. the ones we were talking about before so let's get into we've you've been loosely talking about some of the the pros of DYDX and DEXs in general. So off of your website, we are building, as you mentioned, a decentralized exchange for margin trading and eventually derivatives. With DYDX, users can trade, borrow, and lend any supported asset. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more because that's super interesting. But I wanted to get a sense from your perspective, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but the state of the state of DEXs, um, how they Grew If you obviously are monitoring your competitors in the overall landscape, you know, if you can give us kind of a a pulse on 2019, how business overall indexes did. Um, And then additionally, there was a comment from uh, Lee Coin uh, from Coindesk. Where she mentioned um, in her, her year in review, she talked about dexes. There's a comment there that we'll talk on, but if you could, you know, get us through kind of how did 2019 operate for DEXs in general? Obviously, you don't have to speak specifically to DYDX, but just in general from what you're seeing uh, from an advantage point of looking at the overall space, and then you know, let's talk about uh, Lee's uh, specific. Uh, quote that we'll talk about after you answer that.
1: Yeah, yeah, good question. So it's interesting because when maybe and it's helpful maybe if I provide a bit of historical context here around dexes because two years ago when dexes were getting two and a half years ago when dexes were getting started, um, there was a lot of excitement around dexes and the 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 assets that could be traded on on dexes. And at the time, that made a lot of sense because, as you know, you know, in 2017 there were any, any man and his dog had an asset, right. <laughs> that could be traded. So, um, and all of those. Lived on <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so, uh, at the time there was a lot of excitement that dexes would power the whole new wave of, you know, uh, tokens and tokens would be everywhere. Um, and that's, I think that we're, we're in a very different world now in 2019. So I want to ma- uh, sort of lay that out as you know, the, uh, the, the baseline of, of where DEXs are at. If you look at, um, compare kind of the technology side, there's now various different implementations of DEXs compared to, compared to a couple of years ago. Um, there are now DEXs with margin trading like DYDX. There are now DEX aggregators that help you get the best price across multiple DEXs. Um, DEXs are being used and integrated with other apps directly or in wallets directly. So it's come a long way. Uh, volume has also grown a lot as well. Um, it's still tiny versus uh, versus centralized exchanges as a whole, um, but but it's growing and it's it's consolidating towards core assets that you know people use and people trust. So um, most of the trading that happens on decentralized exchanges on Ethereum, for example, are uh, uh, ETH itself uh, DAI which is a stable coin made by MakerDAO and USDC uh, and those are also the three assets that are supported on DYDX mm-hmm. um, so uh, volume users and interest are growing uh, it's still a very 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 small uh, market today versus centralized exchanges but uh, we made some really really big strides in 2019 and we're excited that uh, you know for what the future holds because as we know there's uh, even in 2019, the, some of the largest exchanges still got hacked. Uh, uh, so there's still hundreds of millions of dollars still um, still lost that way. Um, and as Dex technology improves, and as we as as more and more users come in and experience uh, what it's like, uh, we're very confident that uh, that 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 this market can re- can really, really, really get quite big.
0: Right, and so. Lee's quote was, even when the wallet node deck startup was working smoothly, just a few of my relatively tech savvy customers could find their transaction data with blockchain explorers. And so those that are familiar, obviously, with self-custody using a Trezor or a Ledger, whatever it may be, um, writing down a 24 seed uh, character, uh, phrases and putting that on a paper wallet and then putting that somewhere safely. You know, this is all relatively new to people that are used to the, you know, going to the bank and getting that qualified custodian kind of white, you know, glove treatment, if you will. And so I'm curious from the UI UX perspective, and you started to talk about it just briefly in terms of DYDX, um, how do you perceive the evolution of the UI UX? Are you getting to a point, do you think, over the next six months, 12 months, that someone who might not necessarily be a technocrat, someone who might be very untech savvy, would be able to use this successfully?
1: Yeah, I really do. Uh, admittedly, historically, it's been quite hard to, uh, you know, first of all, find or, or, and even use an Ethereum wallet and set it up. And then start start using it. Um, I I I definitely admit that that has been a challenge uh, historically. Um, What's happening? What we're seeing now uh, quite a lot is a lot of innovation in uh, in wallet technology. So um, in in a way that to the more sort of casual or or non sophisticated user, um, onboarding and using a wallet uh, is becoming quite simple and quite Uh, you know, not so different to an experience um, that they would say be used to using today. Um, On the point specifically around like digging through blockchain explorers and and that sort of thing, transaction data. I mean, I personally think that we we don't even want people to be pouring over like that sort of data, right? Like through blockchain explorers and things like that. I think, um, you know, obviously that, that data is available and it's, it's, it's open and transparent. You know, if you want to access it, you can, but for most people, they just want to know that whatever they're trying to do got confirmed and got validated and that transaction has gone through. Um, and I don't think you need to do that by looking into the weeds of the transaction data. I mean, nobody does that outside of crypto today, even right? Like no one wants to do that for when you send money between, you know, bank accounts or anything like that. So, what we're focusing on and what I think people are focusing on in, in, in the industry is creating these experiences so that it matches up or, or mirrors or is more intuitive um, and something akin to uh, products that they already use today, whether that's in, in FinTech or, or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're getting better. Uh, Uh, fairly close now with some of the new wallets that have come out. Um, uh, As an example, there's multiple different wallets you can plug into and use DYDX with. Um, One one such wallet is like Metamask. You can use Coinbase wallet. Uh, So there's a a number of different options available to to users who want to use a product like DYDX.
0: Got it. And so you mentioned this before, and I want to talk a little bit more about this. So DYDX is powered by smart contracts on Ethereum, eliminating the need to trust a central exchange while trading. So we have talked a lot on the show recently, uh, because we've had Sergey from Chainlink on a few times to talk about the Oracle problem. So I'm curious, how do Oracles and the data that is needed to ensure those smart contracts are upheld and that they are operating efficiently. As we know with smart contracts, it could be something where you can set a smart contract, you know, that would expire in, you know, a day or something that can expire in a week or something that it can expire in three months. So, you know, all the time when that smart contract is operating, um, those validators and the system itself need to have data coming into it to ensure that the if-when type of statements that are associated with them are running operationally. So talk to us about the oracles and the data that rely or that are embedded into the system of DYDX.
1: Yeah, yeah, really good question. Uh, Oracles are extremely important. Um, So so I guess DYDX uses oracles in particular uh, for price information. So I'll give you a specific example. Um, Asset prices um, uh, obviously determine... The level of collateralization of your account. So, you know, uh, stepping back a bit, if you want to borrow on DYDX or margin trade, you've got a like any sort of typical margin trading platform, you have to maintain a certain amount of uh, margin or collateral in your account. So, uh, it's very important that that collateralization calculation on DYDX is is accurate. Um, if an oracle fails, you know, things could falsely get liquidated or margin called or, or not liquidated or margin called, which is possibly even worse for the, for the for the protocol as a whole. But both are very bad cases. So we use different oracles for different assets. Um, for ETH, as an example, we use the MakerDAO oracle. Um, this is their ETH USD uh, oracle uh, for their stablecoin uh, DAI. Mm-hmm. And it relies on a distributed network of reporters that report the price of ETH in USD um, and these are anonymous reporters um, I think there's uh, 15 or 20 or something uh, I don't remember the number off the top of my head um, for an asset like DAI uh, we use our own price Oracle which calculates the USD price of DAI using a combination of a couple of different exchanges um, one such exchange is like Uniswap um, and also the make it our eth usd oracle so um we also work to incorporate a bunch of protections against um price manipulations um on on those various exchanges so if you see you know sudden changes um we have parameters in place um to make sure that we're not just you know word for word getting the price um, in case of cases where there is some adverse manipulation going on.
0: Got it. So I think, you know, aside from the technicals, I think some of the things that people would appreciate is kind of hearing your points about why would I trade on DYDX? There are other DEXs out there right now, some that have been around for proverbially, though, that you said, you know, about two years. There are some that have been around for a while, and DYDX has also been around for a while. But there are some specific points that you guys highlight about why trading on DYDX is so valuable. And so would love to hear that, you know, we'll talk also about the borrowing and lending component, but, you know, this notion of trustless and liquid and powerful and accessible and secure. So we already kind of alluded to that. But I think one of the things in terms of liquidity, um, I think that would be really interesting to kind of touch on specifically in terms of liquidity uh, across multiple exchanges. I, I don't know if people from the traditional world, not the non-crypto world, understand how a DEX might be able to work with a centralized exchange or work with an OTC and work with the different counterparties out there. So can you talk about the liquidity that DYDX uh, is aggregating where it kind of comes from?
1: Yeah, so let me touch on some general points around DYDX, and I can and and do a bit of a dive on liquidity as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of of the one of the bigger biggest reasons I think that um, that makes DYDX an interesting place to trade is that um, your assets on DYDX always earn interest um, all the time. So if you can imagine on a regular exchange, you deposit funds and then you you, know, you might wait around for the right time to trade, um, maybe put some limit orders in place and and and, and, and wait till they execute. Uh, on DYDX, during these times, your assets are always earning interest. So um, uh, that's a huge plus. The second thing, obviously, we've talked about, it's, it's non-custodial. Uh, the third thing, um, which we can touch on a little bit more in terms of the borrow side, but the borrowing allows users to then Access limit orders on margin on DYDX. So, as an example, you can trade ETH without even having ETH in your account. Uh, so long as you have, you know, USDC or or Dai, you could borrow that ETH and trade it. Um, so, uh, it's very actually quite flexible and uh, quite uh, capital efficient for uh, liquidity providers or, or market makers to come in and 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 actually uh, trade on DYDX. The, the fourth point is that, uh, and this is a more general thing, you can access it from anywhere. So as long as you have an Ethereum wallet to plug in, there's no geographical restrictions. There's no lengthy onboarding. Uh, it's, a, it's a very quick connect and, and, and you're good to go. Um, on the liquidity point specifically, I think there's a number of really interesting ways that... Um, you know, capital providers or liquidity providers can come and play on DYDX. And we've actually seen quite a a reasonable uh, uh, amount of interest from uh, liquidity providers that are uh, either playing in uh, already in centralized exchanges or thinking about diving into crypto in general Um, uh, sort of, you know, uh, come into DYDX and and have a poke around. And there's a number of reasons why it's interesting. Number one is uh, it's obviously a native place where you can trade. Uh, and DYDX from a DEX standpoint is built uh, to resemble as much as possible from like a speed and uh, um, latency standpoint uh, as much as close as possible to a centralized exchange. So uh, one of the decisions we made, for example, is that... Um, all trades are are matched on uh, DYDX so that users can effectively get uh, instant trade finality, which is something that sounds like table stakes on most exchanges out there, and I agree it should be, but on a lot of DEXs that doesn't actually happen because uh, you have to send transactions to the chain to to mine. And uh, so we've made decisions like that to basically get the speed uh, closer to what uh, is expected from uh, traditional uh, trading markets. Uh, secondly, there's a lot of interesting like uh, money to be made by, uh, by trading on a place like DYDX. So an example is uh, on the protocol, anyone can perform liquidations. So if an account becomes under collateralized, anyone can actually repay that account's debt and claim 5% um, as a fee for performing that service. Yeah. So that really, really aligns well with uh, funds that have a bunch of capital kind of sitting around um, who are able to uh, deploy that capital at these very specific liquidity events. Um, and these happen, you know, obviously these happen when the price is moving a lot, but it's it's pretty ad hoc, right? It's not a consistent, you know, everyday sort of thing. It's a, when the price moves, there's, there's a chance that this could happen. So there's very large liquidity Uh, events that happen like that where funds have been uh, actively trying to participate and, and, um, and profit from. And then thirdly um, we've been building a whole bunch of different tools on, uh, from an integration standpoint um, to make it easier for liquidity providers to come in and trade on DYDX um, uh, and to make that experience feel as if uh, it's, it's, you know, it's just not very different at all to what they're traditionally used to uh, on centralized exchanges already. So kind of a combination of, um, you know, technical implementation and design of how we've built DYDX, uh, profit opportunities, um, and kind of growth indexes in general. I think uh, some some reasons why we're seeing more and more interest in, um, in DYDX indexes.
0: So as it relates to the borrowing and lending components of the space itself and what you offer, I'm curious to get your perspective on some of the competition in the space uh, with Compound Drama, BlockFi, and some of the other players out there competing for APRs and competing for that business if they're, you know, proverbially speaking, if there would be kind of, you know, the you know, more players coming into the space could that potentially have a negative effect on rates? Could it become much more competitive on rates? What are your opinions on the rates going forward? You know, for the year, I'd love to get your opinions on that. And then also as it relates to uh, within Bitcoin um, and some of the other digital assets out there you know, there is a, you know, there are situations where Ethereum is moving to proof of stake. Uh, with Bitcoin, we see that there is the halving issue. As it relates to the underwriting of some of these assets in terms of, you know, lending and borrowing, can you talk to us a little bit about that and kind of what the the mind share of your days are, you know, spent on that? How does that work? Uh, as it relates to potentially you know traditional assets you know with some of these things the forks and some of the you know the algorithmic changes that are happening to some of the assets that are out there just about the kind of the risk management component of the business. so the first question is you know the lending and borrowing business as it relates to the competitors and the fees that are out there the APRs uh, and then the second question is the underwriting uh, of some of that business how do you guys actually do that?
1: yep yep. Um, So let me tackle the first one. So for a bit of context, um, the lending and borrowing side of DYDX, uh, let me just explain that really, really briefly, and then I can jump into some of the other companies and how we're thinking about it. There are basically individual asset pools on DYDX. Uh, Anyone can lend into or borrow from these um, smart contract asset pools. So each pool, so say for ETH, Has a specific interest rate for lending and a specific interest rate for borrowing and these rates are dynamic. So it's like a short-term You know market interest rate Uh, As borrow as borrowing and lending happens, uh, these rates will change uh, uh, Depending on how how much of that pool is utilized at any point in time and that's all dictated by rules in the in the code Um, so if we look at some of the companies um, that also offer borrowing and lending services um, there's there's a couple in in the open finance uh ethereum world there's also a bunch uh, of lending desks uh centralized lending desks uh that are out there so um dydx is functionally and technically similar to something like a like a compound in terms of the the way the pools and interest rates work um, as distinct from something like a, a BlockFi or a Nexo or Celsius, where it, it's more of a, a, a lending desk um, where they can decide to change the rates at their discretion and they also custody the funds. Um, so it's just a different, fairly different kind of, uh, um, I guess, operation, um, even though the end product is ultimately like you can lend and you can borrow, right? Um, yeah, rates have definitely compressed uh, over the last year or so. I think we, there were some golden days of being able to lend at, you know, 10, 15 plus percent uh, in the middle of 2019. Uh, they've definitely come down quite a bit since then. And part of that is actually also driven, uh, it's kind of like a, a market, a phase in the market too. A lot of that was driven by uh, a lot of sentiment around uh, people being bullish about the price of uh, Ethereum. Um, and that seems to be trailing off a little bit uh, uh, as we as we got to the end of 2019 Um, so but i think competitions is great it means we're going to end up building you know the best product for the end user um and i think aprs will continue to get more competitive over time uh and over time companies will need to offer uh you know more integrated solutions to give users what they want. So this is part of the reason why DYDX uh, has has actually built this uh, trading site on top of these asset uh, lending pools. So most of the users who come and borrow from a place like DYDX, they're actually doing it to get margin, to, to, to speculate on some other asset. So what we've done is built a native exchange on top of that so they don't have to leave the platform to go and do that. They don't have to leave DYDX and go trade it on another exchange and then come back and manage their margin position. Uh, they can do that all internally on DYDX and do spot trades uh, and conduct isolated margin trades uh, all in the one place. So that's why we we think that there are useful add-on services like that, that I guess you can call it sort of vertical integration. That I think will be really, really useful to, to users and, and sort of how we think about uh, how to prioritize from a product standpoint what what and when we should build it. Um, on your second question uh, around sort of like risk management and um, the, the risks associated with 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 underwriting, um, all, all borrowing on DYDX is uh, is over collateralized. So if I want to borrow. worth of USDC, as an example, I have to have at least $115 worth of ETH or or DAI acting as collateral. So at all times, it's always over collateralized. Um, The risk is actually in whether or not the margin call liquidation mechanism uh, can actually keep up with uh changes in price um and so far that has been the case uh just because it's a competitive process and there's an incentive for people to actually uh, perform that activity um so from a from a risk and uh risk standpoint uh yeah I, i continue to be you know very confident and uh as 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 every day that goes past with with changes in price and movements in the price um uh, our systems become more and more battle-tested. Um, yeah, I think we've, we're in for an interesting sort of period of time in the next sort of six months with, with the harboring and everything. Um, I think it's going to be interesting viewing. It may or may not impact directly how people use DYDX. I think um, when people decide to take leverage, I think they, one of the implicit things they have to think about is just how much, how protected they want to be and how much collateral they want to take. Uh, versus how much leverage they want, so uh, that'll be interesting to see on DYDX uh, over over time. Historically, it's been quite high leverage, um, and we'll see if that changes over the next six months or so.
0: That's fascinating, and you know, I think it's important for our listeners to realize is that this is a part of efficient markets. And, you know, derivatives and the ability to do the things that you are setting investors up and people to do is part of efficient markets, and. Up until two years ago, give or take, there really wasn't a lot of those facilities that enabled investors to do that. Uh, if they wanted to express an interest in a certain, you know, in a certain asset, whether Bitcoin, Ethereum, or something else, they had to basically just go long, and that was basically it. Um, and then shorting came about, and derivatives have come about, and margin has come about. So, you know, it's all part of a process of creating more efficient capital markets within digital assets. And so, I think it's incredibly important for people to acknowledge that and to take advantage of what you guys are doing. Um, and so the last two parts that we like to do on the show is getting to know you a little bit better Um, so The two things that we always ask our guests are, what are they reading? And that could be things that are crypto-related or non-crypto-related. Hopefully there are things in your life that are Um, non-crypto-related. So anything that you've read recently that really resonated with you. And then music. What do you listen to while you're working, while you're traveling? Uh, Things that are just kind of in your head uh, that uh, that inspire you or get you going, just those are just interesting things that I think uh, tell a lot about a person. So anything that you've read recently and any musical that you listen to?
1: For sure, yeah. So uh, uh, the, the, uh, a book I'm reading right now is, um, I'm actually reading about uh, Deng Xiaoping, which is the former leader of China. So there's a mm-hmm. book on him. It's kind of like a semi, it's kind of like a biography, but also talks a bit about uh, the things he did to make, to kind of like bring China out of communism, well, opening them up from total closed communism. So it's a sort of a book about him, a book about, uh, opening up of China. And I I got interested in that because I recently, uh, did a trip, uh, for work actually for, for DYDX to, to Beijing and we're exploring a few different opportunities out there. Um, and it struck me that just the market there is just very different. And, um, I'm trying to to you know get the historical context, uh, but also to piece that together with how we think China as a market is going to be, um, you know, not just for us, but uh, for, for a lot of different industries uh, going forward. So that's been a, a pretty good read um, so far. Um, I I read a lot. I spend a lot of time time reading, um, kind of like sports related stuff. So I'm on the athletic a fair bit. Uh, I follow cricket. I'm from Australia. So I read a lot about cricket. Um, I spend too much time admittedly doing that in terms of music. Um, my top two uh, artists on Spotify for the decade uh, were the national and two door cinema club. So um, kind of, you know, one very chill band, one sort of fun, more upbeat Uh, when I'm working, I listen to classical music, uh, all the time because it relaxes me and allows me to, to think a little bit better. Um, but yeah, that's a bit about me. Awesome.
0: Um, and the other thing that we'd like to do on the show is give the opportunity for listeners to find out more about you guys. Um, so if there's any place that they can learn more about DYDX, if they can reach out to you, if they want to take a look at what you guys are doing, feel free to let them know where to go.
1: Yeah, uh, a good place to start would be uh, dydx exchange, which is our uh, our website. Um, we're on uh, Twitter at dydx protocol, and our we have a very very vibrant uh, community that's always discussing lots of different topics. And our team is 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 very active in that community on uh, Telegram, uh, and that's at uh, dydx official on Telegram. Um, those are probably the best places, um, you know, to reach out. We're obviously all available on Twitter as well. Um, we're also we're also hiring at the moment, so if anyone knows of anyone, we're definitely uh, definitely all ears. Uh, But but thanks for taking the time, David. It was great. Awesome.
0: And again, um, as I said just before, this is a piece of the overall capital markets infrastructure that is really important. And I recommend lots of people, if you get the time, just to take a look and see what they've built. Um, DEXs have evolved over the last few years. I've seen them since, you know, 2017. People were interested with them, but they were cautious about them. As we mentioned, Lee's, kind of note about the UI and UX, it hasn't always been very easy, but you know, as anyone could look back about, you know, TCP IP and getting on the internet in ninety-two, ninety-three knows that if you didn't know what you were doing and you put in the floppy disk and you messed up the modem and didn't get the right ISP, you basically blew up your computer. And so now we have point and click and we actually have speech and we have things that are just we take for granted. So it will get there. It is getting there and it's getting there very fast and teams like DYDX are doing that. So really fun catching up with you. Hopefully we can catch up with you guys in a few months and see how things are progressing and we'll be talking to you soon. Cool. Thanks, David. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at davidjn seventy nine. Let us know and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.